Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. It is printed there for you in your bulletin. Perhaps a familiar passage to you, in that it's Jesus calling his first disciples. Verse 18. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said. I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Well, today in Experiencing God, we come to the topic of adjustments and making adjustments to what God is calling us for, what God is calling us to. Having heard God's call, facing our crisis of belief head on, we're now ready to follow wherever God leads. By adjusting our lives to God's direction, each day we live lives of purpose, leaving our mark, as you will. Consider the encouragement of the following poem. This is called A Psalm of Life by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Act. Take action. Be active. Tell me not in mournful numbers that life is but an empty dream. For the soul is dead that slumbers, and things are not what they seem. Life is real. Life is earnest, and the grave is not its goal. Dust thou art, and to dust returnest, was not spoken of the soul. Not enjoyment and not sorrow is our destined end or way, but to act, that each tomorrow find us farther than today. Art is long, and time is fleeting, and our hearts, though stout and brave, still, like muffled drums, are beating funeral marches to the grave. In the world's broad field of battle, in the bivouac of life, be not like dumb, driven cattle. Be a hero in the strife. Trust no future, however pleasant. Let the dead past bury its dead. Act. Act in the living present. Heart within and God overhead. Lives of great men all remind us that we can make our lives sublime. And departing, leave behind us footprints in the sand of time. Footprints that perhaps another sailing over life's solemn main, a forlorn and shipwrecked brother, shall see and take heart again. Let us then be up and doing with a heart for any fate, still achieving, still pursuing. Learn to labor and to wait. I love that poem. I love the sentiment to it. Still achieving that idea of fighting for God's kingdom and God's purpose. Still pursuing. Not living off of yesterday's inspiration, but actively seeking God today. 
learning to labor, facing down our giants, whatever they may be, and, and putting the work in of discipleship, learning to wait, being obedient to God's direction today and waiting on the next directive from God. Making the most of this day to progress towards our goals is the overriding theme of Longfellow's book. And our goal in experiencing God, this whole series leads us to the subject now today of adjusting our lives to God's direction. If the Lord is to truly break through some of those barriers and defenses that we put between who we are and who we are striving to be for God's glory, well then we're going to need to make adjustments. Over the last two weeks we've looked at when we're led to a crisis of belief or a crisis of faith in a particular moment. Today we're going to look more at a, at a lifestyle choice, if you will, that governs those individual decisions. We're going to look at truly adjusting our lives to God. And the point of adjusting our lives to God is this. If we, if we choose to make those small adjustments, then we lead lives of obedience. But if we refuse to make the adjustments, we can miss what God has in store for our lives, simply because we're refusing to join God in what He's doing. So, this is obviously a theme that runs throughout Scripture. So I can tell you lots of stories, uh, but I'm, I'm going to select just a few. Right? One of which we, we saw the beginning of in our Old Testament passage. David. David. His story is told from, from 1 Samuel 16, the passage that, that Phyllis read for us, through 1 Kings chapter 2. You know, David was a shepherd. That's what he was as a boy. He was a shepherd. He knew what it was to be a protector of his flock. The path from his anointing on that day by Samuel as, as Israel's king to finally taking the throne was anything but a straight path. But he walked in with God. One thing was clear from the beginning of his call. If David was going to be king, he couldn't remain looking after his sheep. From eliminating threats to his sheep to battling the giant Goliath throughout that course that led him to the throne, David had to adjust his life for God. And then the other that I want to highlight is that passage we read just before the sermon started, that calling of Peter, Andrew, James, and John. When Jesus is walking beside the Sea of Galilee. I believe that these men had all had some sort of interaction with Jesus or at least had heard of him before this point. But that moment when Jesus calls them, they have a decision to make. These men were settled in their lifestyle. And yet if they were going to go where God was calling, they had to leave their fishing trade and actually follow Jesus. They had families that had to make adjustments too. Parents that had expectations of them. Wives and children, perhaps, who were 
also affected by their decision to follow God. But whatever the effort required, each one of these people and many more that I could have listed in Scripture learned that adjusting one's life to God is well worth the cost. I want to ask you, have you come to the place in your life where you're willing to give over control of whatever God calls you to in order to follow Him? If you have heard God's call, are you willing to make adjustments in how you've been operating up to this point? Now, you may be thinking, God's not going to ask me to make any adjustments. In fact, I'm pretty sure through my times of prayer that my answer for how God wants to work things out for me involves other people making adjustments. At least that's what I've been praying towards. Well, all I can say is that if you look at Scripture for your understanding of God and how He interacts with us, you're going to clearly see that God most certainly does require adjustments of all His people. This is not what we can, we can opt out of. You cannot be a true follower of Jesus and fail to adjust your life to God's direction. Now, it sounds harsh, perhaps, I'm making a dividing line between those that are truly following Jesus and those that aren't. But if, if you look at Jesus, our example, and we call ourselves Christians because we're following the Christ, our leader, Jesus, had to make a major adjustment to follow his calling. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the, Lord, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, for our sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. Jesus emptied everything. He emptied himself of everything by dying for you and me on the cross. I think we'd all agree that's a pretty major adjustment. So if you want to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, really don't have a choice. You'll have to make adjustments in your life to follow God. And this is the difference between a, a believer in God and a follower of Jesus. Being a follower suggests that someone is leading. Amen? Amen. So, so what this world needs is followers of Jesus. And the Great Commission says, go and make disciples, not go and make people that mentally assent to the fact that Jesus was a good person. Our greatest single difficulty in following Jesus may come at this point of adjustment for our lives. Because the crisis of belief, that crisis of faith that we have been talking about the last two weeks, in some ways, that's kind of a, a mental heart wrestling, you know, where we set our, our motivation, but then we have to actually follow through. Luke 18, 18 through 27, I'm going to read that again, because I don't know about you, but it, it convicts me. 
Every time I read this passage, a certain ruler asked Jesus, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, No one's good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mothers. Oh, well, all these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. Jesus heard this, he said to them, You still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he had heard this, he became very sad, because he was a man of great wealth. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what is impossible with men is possible with God. This rich young ruler wanted eternal life. He believed in God. His problem was that his love for his wealth and comfort was more than his love for God. He he wanted a relationship with God that fit in with his scheme of things, his plans, his wishes. We make the same error when we confuse the source of our ultimate security. Are we secure because of the provisions that we've laid up for ourselves? Or because God loves us? as his children. Now, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you haven't already been convicted up to this point, you've probably heard someone warn, you know what, don't, don't ever ask God to, to tell you, you know, something that, that he wants you to do. Don't pray for that. Don't, don't pray that God's going to reveal his will to you because, because he's going to ask you to you know, go be a missionary overseas. Or he's going to ask you to do something that is really uncomfortable. Something you don't want to do. But I'd like us to remember that God, God isn't looking for ways to make us squirm. When we read a passage like that of Jesus' interaction with the rich young ruler, I don't know about you, but it makes me squirm because I think, ooh, what about my 401k, <laughs> right? What about, what about the things that, that I have laid up for myself in terms of riches and provisions and, and where, where am I placing my trust? And what is God asking me to do with those things? God doesn't want to make us miserable. However, he does want to be Lord of our lives. So whenever you identify, identify a place in your life where you are unwilling to have the Lordship of Christ reign, that's probably going to be a place where he's going to work on you. He does this because he loves you and he wants what's 
best for you. Remember this though, the, the adjustment is always to a person. The adjustment is to a person. You adjust your life to God, not to a, a set of beliefs or rules or concepts. You adjust your viewpoints to God's viewpoints. You adjust your priorities to His priorities. You adjust your ways to His ways. Because significant relationships require adjustments. Amen? Amen. I mean, marriage is a primary example. The two becoming one in marriage is a major adjustment. One that God uses as a way of explaining the relationship between Jesus and us as his church, his bride. And marriage can be a beautiful example of how Adjustments can lead to a better, more fulfilling realization of what life intends. And another relationship that comes to mind is, is when, when I'm thinking about my relationship with God is that that relationship adjustment that has to come when a child is adopted into a family. Because that too is used of us in Scripture. And you and I are, are sons and daughters of God, but not through natural birth, but through adoption in the Spirit. So God's calling you and I to a relationship of child to parent. And, and God is our loving Father. God's parenting of us is kind and loving, but from our perspective, it may not always feel that way. Just like the natural relationship with a child to a parent may not feel that way at times. The fact is the adjustments that God is calling you and I to may feel harsh, unreasonable, mean. How many of you that have been parents ever got called mean? by your kids, right? Nobody, nobody else, only like four of us? All right, okay, all right? I'm a proud, I'm a, I'm a proud member of the mean parent club, all right? If you get called a mean parent, that's when you know you're doing your job. That's right. So whatever we feel the adjustments are that God is calling us to, we need to remember that it's an adjustment to a loving relationship, whether it's parent to child, or if the, the imagery of the marriage works for you, go with that. But I want you to consider the story of a little girl named Jenny as we close our time today. A cheerful girl with bouncy curls was almost five. Waiting with her mother at the check stand, she saw them circle of glistening white pearls in a pink foil box. Oh, please, Mommy, can I have them? Please, Mommy, please. Quickly, the mother checked the back of the little foil box, looked back into the pleading blue eyes of the little girl's upturned face. A dollar ninety-five. That's almost two dollars. 
If you really want them all, I'll think of some extra chores that you can do. And in no time, you can save enough money to buy them for yourself. And you know, your, your birthday is only a week away, and you might get another crisp dollar bill from Grandma. As soon as Jenny got home, she emptied her piggy bank and counted out 17 pins. After dinner, she did more than her share of chores. And she went to the neighbor and asked Mrs. James if she could pick dandelions for 10 cents. And on her birthday, Grandma did give her another new dollar bill. And at last, through savings, she had enough money to buy the necklace. Jenny loved her $1.95 pearls. They made her feel dressed up and grown up. She wore them everywhere. She wore them to church, to kindergarten. She even wore them to bed. And the only time that she took them off was when she went swimming or had to take a bubble bath because mommy said that if they got wet, they might turn her neck green. Now, Jenny was lucky to have a very loving daddy as well. And every night when she was ready for bed, he would stop whatever he was doing and would come upstairs to read her a story. One night when he finished the story, he asked Jenny, Do you love me? Oh, yes, Dad, you know that I love you. Well, then give me your pearls. Oh, Daddy, not my pearls, but you can have princess. You know, the white horse from my collection, the one with the pink tail. Remember, Daddy, she's the one you gave me. She's my favorite. Well, that's okay, honey. Daddy loves you. Good night. And he brushed her cheek with a kiss. About a week later, after another story time, Jenny's daddy asked again, Do you love me? Daddy, you know I love you. Then give me your pearls. Oh, daddy, not my pearls. You can have, you can have my baby doll, the brand new one that I got for my birthday. She's so beautiful. And you can have the yellow blanket that matches her sleeper. Well, that's, that's okay. Sleep well. God bless you, little one. Daddy loves you. And this always he brushed her cheek with a gentle kiss. A few nights later, when Daddy came in, Jenny was sitting on her bed, waiting. As he came close, he noticed that her chin was trembling. One silent tear rolled down her cheek. What is it, Jenny? What's the matter? Jenny didn't say anything, but she lifted up her little hand to her daddy. And when she opened it, there was the little pearl necklace. With the quiver, she finally said, Here, daddy, it's for you. I love you. Well, with tears gathering in his own eyes, Jenny's kind daddy reached out with one hand to take the cheap but beloved necklace. And with the other, he reached into his pocket and pulled out a gorgeous blue velvet case with a strand of genuine pearls and gave them to Jenny. He had had them all along. He was just waiting for her to give up her cheap costume jewel so that he could give her a genuine treasure. So it is with our Heavenly Father. He's waiting for us 
to give up the cheap things in our lives so he can give us a beautiful treasure, a treasure that will last. Isn't God good? All the time. God is good. You know what? A lot of times we're holding on to things that, that God wants us to let go of for the sake of something better, more fulfilling, more, more fitting of the love between a heavenly father and a beloved daughter or son. As you consider the adjustments that, that you may need to make in order to obey God's call, you pray with me for the wisdom to release that costume, jewelry, for the treasures that God intends for us to have. Let us pray. God, in your wisdom, you have set out a path before us. We want to walk in your ways and keep in step with your spirit. We acknowledge our hesitancy to trust and obey, to make adjustments in our lives to follow your plan. Help us really grasp the love that you have for us and the joy that can be ours when we reach out our hands, releasing whatever it is we're holding on to making room in our hearts and minds for what you have to give us as individuals and, yes, as a church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.